0: Well, this, the scoreboard said I lost today, but what the scoreboard doesn't say is what it is I have found. And it's
1: Welcome back to the Tennis Connected Studios for January 12th, 2023. I'm Nima Naderi alongside Parsa Sammy, and we're here this week to preview the Australian Open. Before we begin this week's show, let's introduce our co-host, Parsa. How are you, my friend? Good. Happy
0: New Year, my man. Um, another exciting year of tennis. Can figure out who's going to be uh, reigning goat all the way to who the newcomers are going to be, and I've got a little surprise for everybody out there. I think uh, there's there's a there's a a, a someone to watch, um, and I think we're going to see something new. Um, and although we all know her, I'm going to hold it near and dear until I release it in in who I think is going to win the Australian Open.
1: Sounds good. Yeah, I mean, listen, you know it's. Tennis is, as we know, we've been doing this for so many years. It's a very interesting sport where there's no off season really, right? Like it just kind of all, you know, mishmashes into one and it just keeps going. And uh, I mean, this year is really no different. We had a couple weeks off at the end of December. And now we're back at the beginning of uh, January and, you know, the first Grand Slam of the year is, you know, getting ready to fire up in a couple days. So it's going to be interesting to see what transpires. We have obviously, you know, Federer is long gone now. Serena is done for now. Um, Osaka just announced yesterday that she's going to become a mother. So congratulations to her. We wish her all the best. And then we have Nadal coming back as the defending champion, but not anywhere near the form that he needs to be. We have Djokovic coming back after the debacle last year with his deportation. Uh, but he's got a bit of a hamstring injury that we're going to be watching out for. Then on the women's side, we have uh, Iga Schwaitek, who's obviously the, you know, informed player on the WTA. She's far and away the the best player on the circuit, but she's also nursing a little bit of an injury. So there's a lot of storylines to, you know, look at uh, Parso. And it's interesting because we came back one year before this and, you know, we, we were doing our picks and everything, and you're like, you know what, Nima, I, I liked what I saw from Nadal in that warm-up tournament in Melbourne, and I think he's going to win the tournament. I'm like, Parso, this guy hasn't won the tournament since 2009. He's like, no, just watch and see, and lo and behold, he ended up winning the tournament, So, which was a great pick by you. I don't think you're going to be going with Nadal this year. No. He's got a super rough uh, first-round match with Jack Draper, and again, I mean, if you go back to the US Open... I think he's won one match since losing to TFO in the fourth round. He lost to TFO. Then he lost in Cincy early to Borna George right before that. He lost to Tommy Paul. He lost two of his three matches in uh, in the World Tour Finals. He beat his buddy, you know, Caspar Ruud. And I mean, obviously, they're friends. They both train in Mallorca. So I don't really know how much weight I put on that. Then going back to this year now. You know, he played his first two matches at the uh, new United Cup and he lost both of those. So there's nothing really to, to go on. And then, you know, our writer Amy Lundy also did a good post that he's kind of modified his serving technique because of his ab injury that he had. And, you know, she's convinced that it's not fully healed yet. So with that being said, I really don't know what, uh, you know, is in store for Rafa this year. Hopefully, he can obviously have a deep run. It's good for everybody. It's good for the tournament. Good for us. But um, we'll Look, see. I mean, but- I mean, Rafa, Rafa is the is
0: is who he is. So you know that when he gets locked in and prepared, and he's, you know, all all the the nuts and bolts are are torqued perfectly, that he's pretty much unbeatable because mentality wise, you you just can't take him down. And we also know that at this very moment. He's not prepared. So, I mean, that, that lends itself to something. Um, but Nadal's the kind of guy that has gone into things completely unprepared and still won them. I just think this is a little different now. I think the way he needs to play at his age is he has to be more aggressive and therefore more refined and can't play as much defense. And because of that, um, you know, I think that that becomes a problem. Now, Now, this is all... You know, Australia's a weird tournament because it could get really hot, Nima. The ball can start bouncing super high and no one's gonna be able to defend. You know, no one's taking his ball on the rise for three out of five sets on off his forehand side if he's hitting that big loopy ball with tremendous amounts of spin. It's just it's so things can change just with factors that we don't necessarily um you know, look at it the other way. So so I agree with you. I think Jack Draper is super dangerous and even maybe like a 50-50 chance to beat Nadal there, which is incredible in the first round for a number one seed. However, let's say he escapes it and gets through in, in four sets or five sets. Now what? Like does does Nadal then have start to gain a little bit of momentum, gain a little bit of traction, a little bit of feel in the tournament start to feel good vibes, I wouldn't count Nadell out. Would you, Nima?
1: It's a good question. I mean, he's going to potentially have Brandon Nakashima in round two, who, again, is not a really easy out at this point. He's he's on the come up, and he's playing really well. You know, so, and then, you know, Yoshi, Nicky is the is lurking as well, too. He's going to get a lot of balls back. TFO is his scheduled fourth round opponent, so that's going to be another, uh, you know, test for Nadal and you know TFO is confident as well too and then so I think and then Medvedev is lurking in the quarters and then you got Sebastian Corda who I think is going to be a heck of a good player you know what I mean so there's there's a lot of guys here who who can do some damage her catch I mean her catch can beat big guys right like he's got an amazing serve he's got really good off the ground so I just think that um this is probably Nadal's worst Grand Slam. And I think that he is the defending champion, but I think he needs some sort of confidence level. Again, maybe he doesn't at this stage in his career. Maybe he knows what he's doing now and he's co- he's comfortable in his own skin that he doesn't need to play as much as he used to. I thought he was hitting the ball pretty good in the in the couple of matches that he had at the United Cup. He's just, you know, he's just not like, I don't think he's, he said it himself, his legs aren't as fast. He's got to kind of work on that, but he's had a couple of weeks now to work on that. So yeah, I didn't like. I
0: didn't like how he wasn't throwing his body weight. So early on in the matches, he was. He was energetic, and you could see him definitely get fatigued and stop getting his body weight into the ball. And then he's a very different player on his back foot versus, especially on a hard court, on his back foot versus body weight going through the shot. He's a totally different animal. So that's what I mean, though. Like. He doesn't have ideal preparation. He's won other tournaments without ideal preparation, but it's been like six months of not ideal preparation. You know, it's not like exactly two months or you know an off season or whatever it may be. So uh, it'll be interesting to find out. But it's a tough guy to if he starts to sneak through. If you see him in round three, you gotta watch out. You know, it's this is this is like this guy's the ultimate athletic competitor. Forget tennis player. You know, athlete, you know, competition-wise in the mindset, there's no one like him. So the body's kicking and healthy and you find him in, you know, later stages of week one, you know, in the third round, the fourth, you got to watch out. Like, the, the, it's just, all it takes is just everything coming together. And, and you know, that being said, he could lose first round. And um, if you guys hear hesitancy in my voice is because we've picked against Nadal over the last 10 years several times and so many times were just proven incorrect um, because because of that mindset, you know. So all it takes is that physical, uh, all the tools to be, you know, in sync and, and God knows what's going to happen with his, uh, you know, with his game.
1: No, no, that's, that's a good point. Um, yeah, and, you know, the, a couple other points that we definitely need to cover is Alcaraz is, you know, newly crowned world number one coming off of a U.S. Open victory, and he's not even here, so which sucks realistically because, you know, hardcore's are a great service for him, and, um, you know, everybody would love to see him. He's number one player in the world at the end of the day, right? So even though people don't maybe like, oh, Nadal and Djokovic are still, like, the, the best guys, but, I mean, this guy is number one. And he's not—he's he's supposed to come back next month, play a couple of clay court events in South America, so we'll see how he does there. But you know, what are your thoughts on Alcaraz, Parsa? I mean, he's coming in—you know, he's U.S. Open winner, but he had a—he's had a bit of a lull uh, since that—you know, since that victory in New York, in your backyard. And and uh, what do you think about him for this year? Of who? I'm sorry, cut out there. Uh, Carlos Alcaraz.
0: Yeah. So I mean these injuries are unfortunate. Um, I'm not quite sure what's happening. Um, I don't love that he's getting injured at such a young age. Um, so it's a little bit ominous. Um, so I'm skeptical. Um, the game is obviously there, but you know, and sometimes a lot of times actually young players, they need to win and then they kind of go on a hiatus for a couple years until they really truly figure it out. Um, so maybe he's getting uh that learning curve without actually losing you know what i mean like that gap is happening he gets to sit on the sidelines and sort of watch and figure out what my game is about um not that the number one player in the world doesn't know how to play tennis but i think a guy like him you're just really going after it and and pummeling the ball and running everywhere and you know the most intricate tactics are still not set yet. He's only, you know, 19, 20 years old. So, I think that that there's an opportunity for him to watch from the sidelines and learn.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's going to be interesting, right? Because he looks like he's look, he's already had a great career yeah. he's been number 1 He's won a major. He's won Masters. He's won 500s. He's won 250s. He's beaten Nadal and Djokovic, and mostly all the other top ten guys. He, I mean, he's he's already there, but he looks like he's definitely a hungry guy, and uh, you know, he's. I think he's going to be. He's going to have a good year. Nevertheless, he demand. He respects. But it's all still new to him, right? Like this all happened very quickly, right? So, like he was number one. I think way before Nadal and Djokovic and Federer, right? They all became number one a little bit later, right? So it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see. And then obviously we have, you know, two other guys like Holger Rune and Felix Oje Aliasim who had great ends to 2022, they're gonna come in here looking to, you know, prove that that was just not like a few good months, and they want to start off this year with a bang as well. Uh, and then we have guys like Zarev and Team and Rarinka, you know, you know some former Grand Slam winners and finalists that are and who everybody knows that are trying to come back and and do some damage. So there's there's a lot of guys in the mix, Um, so it could be interesting, but they could all also flake out, right? Like teams has got. Rublev first round. Rublev's been playing not that great lately, so he's got a chance. And, you know, Felix has a lot to prove, in my opinion. And Holger Rune has talked about he wants to be number one this year. You know, is he ready? And, you know, before we continue and in go into the you know, women's draw, I just want to get your thoughts on, on Holger Rune because he's an interesting guy for me, Parso, because he's, he's got a little bit of an edge, edgy personality, uh, but he's definitely backed it up and you know he's you know top 10 player now and he's ready to go so what do you think about him and his ceiling this year and this australian Open? yeah i mean i
0: think uh holger's got you know just incredible potential um he hits the cover off the ball super serious super professional um i think he's a big athlete um i, I think you know let's go back 10 years nima we thought that the the the, the ideal tennis player was going to be six six you know pretty tall like a little bit more lanky like that del potro mold um and we thought that that would be the people who dominate but it's actually the opposite it's actually the the alcaraz mode or the holgarun mode they're like six three they're kind of muscular um you know more muscles than i thought the 6'6 lanky guy was gonna have to dominate the sport. Um, so it's it's pretty interesting and Holger's right up that alley in terms of, you know, physicality, movement, explosiveness, um, athleticism, you know, mental fortitude, you know, I would put him in Alcaraz is definitely the future. Um, and you can see with like TFO, um, how his game is developing and and what he does so special. Um so I think uh, you know, Holger's right up there and and I do think he will be number one in the world at some point.
1: Yeah, I think <clears throat> I think he's got all the you know the variables to make it happen. You know, it was very interesting for me at the Paris Masters where he won last year. He he beat Rarenka in the first round. And you know, Rarenka at the net he was listen, I want to give you some advice and you gotta stop being such a baby on court. Yep. And it was interesting because, you know, you're this eighteen, nineteen year old kid you just beat Roderinko, who's a three-time Grand Slam champion. And this guy's saying this to you, irrespective of if it's true or not or whatever, it's still, you know, this is like a a Hall of Famer at the end of the day, right? Guy who's definitely going to go into the Hall of Fame saying this to you, and honestly, he didn't care. He absolutely said, okay, whatever, buddy. You know what I'm saying? That's, like, if you look at the match and the expression on his face... Not that he said anything to him, but what did he do after that, Parsa? He went on to win the tournament and he beat Djokovic in the finals. So for me, what I'm trying to say is when you're looking at the mentality of this athlete in particular, I think he's got absolutely the variables to be a number one ranked player and 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 do some serious damage. Not he might not be the most liked guy ever, right? But who cares? Because, like, at the end of the day, he wants to win, and that's what he's looks like he's going to be able to do, right? So, for me, that was a very telling, you know, personality variable that you don't really see too often. Like, just letting, like, look at Kyrgios. All he talks about is what how people talk about him, right? Yeah. He, you know, Ho Garoon doesn't care. He's like, whatever, man. Say whatever you want about me, right? Like, so to me, I think that's he's got a thick skin. And for such a young guy to be able to do that, and if you look back even to the end of the previous year with the COVID stuff and everything, and he wasn't able to play, he was, like, ranked about 106. So a lot of his points and everything weren't being calculated, and he put up a post, actually, at the end of 21 going into 22, saying, listen, yeah, for a lot of people being ranked 106 or whatever in the world is great, but it's not great for me. I got really high aspirations for myself. Like this is, he wanted to be like a top 50, 20 player at the end of 21 going into 22. And he was like 17, 18 years old at that time, right? So what I'm saying is, is that he's he's had his, you know, his heart and his mind set on, you know, a certain goal. And obviously he's definitely working towards that. And I think he definitely has what it takes. So that's basically what I've been able to extract from watching him for the amount that I have. And, and he's already beat a ton of really good players too, right? So I think the the future looks uh, super bright for him. Um, jumping now into the women's draw, uh, you, you have obviously three time Grand Slam champion, Iga Swiatek as the number one seed, you know, reigning US Open champion, French Open champion. What do you think about her chances per? I I have her penciled in to the, to the semis. I mean again I'm not saying she's in tip-top form but I think given her track record and the amount that she's been winning out I would be crazy to to go against her making a deep run here. Yeah, I mean she's she's definitely the the class player of the draw. Um
0: I think um there's you know there is opportunity for other people but she has to be at a at a different, you know, level. Like meaning that she has to be a little bit injured or something has to be a little bit wrong for her to, I think, get upended. Um, I think there's a lot of dangerous floaters here. And the women's game has been so much parity that we haven't been able to figure it out really and get a rhyme or reason. But she has been a point of consistency. Um, So I think uh, that's a very good pick. You know, Swiacek, you know, with good health, um, I think is definitely going to
1: the semis. Yeah. And then <clears throat> from there, I think I like what I've been saying from Jessica Pagula in the last little bit. I think, you know, she's been putting forth a very like under the radar, hardworking type of performance. You know what I mean? Just generally, she's not looking for a lot of fanfare. Obviously, she's extremely wealthy, but she's not she's just making a name for herself, right? She's not looking for any handouts or anything from, you know. Obviously, with her parents owning a couple major league teams and everything. So I'm going to go with Pagula as my other semifinalist, and then in the bottom part, uh, pardon me, bottom half, I'm going with uh, Cara Garcia as well as Sabalenka to finish off my final four. Um, I'm not going with a lot against the grain here in this draw part, so I think it's the beginning of the year. It's tough for me to you know, have some some picks that are like, you know, kind of more with my heart than my head. So I think I'm going to be going with um, Swiatek, Pakula, Caro Garcia, who had a great end to last year, as well as Sabalenka, who I'm kind of starting to believe in her a little bit more, even though she's a bit of a head case. And then I'm going to go with Swiatek over Garcia to uh, to win the title. So what's your analysis of the uh, women's draw? Sorry, I made a mistake. Um, while you were talking, I was reviewing the draw,
0: and I realized that my big secret of coming into this podcast was yeah. was I totally went against it, um, which I'm going to change right now. Uh, I didn't realize that in the quarters is Swiatek and uh, Coco Golf. And Coco, for me... Um, Guys, we're about to embark on the next generation. She's it. Um, I'm telling you, she's going to be in the teens in Grand Slams 1. That's how much we're going to end up seeing Coco Golf. Um, what I've seen so far in her prep, if, if everyone saw how I saw the prep of Nadal last year, I've seen the prep of Coco Golf this year. And I realize Swiercek is athletic, but Coco is everything Swiercek is. Without the resume yet, and the resume is coming. So, I'm gonna change my pick. I've got Coco Goff in the top. Um, in the second half, um, I, I really, 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 really like uh, what Sakari has been doing um, in terms of her preparation. I've been following her too. So, I'm gonna have Coco Goff versus Sakari in the top semifinal, um, and I'm gonna have Coco advancing to the final there. In the bottom half, um, you know, the player that's definitely caught my eye more than anyone else um, is in that first section is definitely Garcia. I feel like Garcia is someone who, um, you know, she's just, she's had a great end to the year. She's putting things together and I think she can work herself through the draw as it's stated. There's no one that's really going to be dangerous and she could be the most dangerous of those um and then i have to go with Anz jabor in the bottom um i just feel like you know there is going to be some consistency this year i think we're going to see a couple of casta characters i think we're going to see coco jabor and sweet all the time um later on in the tournaments um i think they're just going to be picking up steam um i'm going to have jabor defeating garcia and then uh I, this is her first grand slam coco is going to win down under um and I'm going to say it's like, I'm going to go on a limb here and say the final is actually going to be like her most, um, you know, I don't want to say difficult match or, or contentious match, but I think it'll be the highest level of tennis she's going to play. Um, I think she's going to grind out a couple of these early rounds, gain a little bit of a rhythm, play incredibly well against Swichek because she'll have nothing to lose, and then really start to believe. And then if if she gains any belief like that, I think... This, this woman is going to have the world as her oyster.
1: Yeah, and, and, and I really like Coco Goff, to be honest with you. I think she's got a great head on her shoulders, speaks very well, uh, very professional, and I think she's going to be great for the game and great for American tennis. And I, I really think overall American tennis is finally, after like 20 years, I think it's really both on the men's and women's side, I think it's going to take a real turn for the better. You know, with lack of any better words, um, which is which is great to see because it's such a big market for for everybody. So I I really would love to see it personally, um, but I like that pick. I mean, we'll see we'll see how it goes down, and uh, it should be a really interesting uh, event on the women's side. Now, moving on to the men's, obviously we have defending champion Rafa Nadal. Listen, I would love to see him do something here, Parsa, but I just I think it's going to be tough. I just I just feel like Nadal outside of clay like last year he really showed me something by winning the french open even though i'm saying this about a guy who had previously won it 13 times right he was coming in with a three and two record you know he got through Djokovic in an amazing match he beat zarev i know zarev got injured but the first two sets were super difficult super slow indoors the balls were like beach balls like it was crazy got and then he killed root in the final right um wins his 14th you know major there and but this is this is a hard court major and look at what happened to him at the u.s open i think if nadal makes the quarters here he's done really 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 well and the only and what i was telling you off air was that jack draper who's his first round opponent is actually still in an event in adelaide he's in the semis so he'd just be hatching off yesterday and if he goes on to win that, he's gonna be playing until Saturday. And then if he, he's probably gonna play in the dull night match. I don't know if they're gonna to play top or bottom first, but let's say potentially, you know, Monday night or Tuesday night. So he could and he's a young guy. It's not like he's gonna be tired, but he still might have a little bit of some after effects from that. But if not, I I mean the the thing is though Parsa with that match they're both lefties. So, you know, Draper, is he going to be as effective against Nadal in that type of a format? What, what are your thoughts on that? I mean,
0: it's, it's so dependent on, uh, you know, how Draper comes out and handles the moment. Um, yeah, Because there's still a goat on the other side, right? So you still have to take him out. And if he's if he's just pressing a little too much and giving away a few cheapies, you know, Nadal's going to take advantage of it. He's got to go out and play stress-free, and it depends how Draper's going to go in. If Draper's going to go in thinking he's got an opportunity he can win, he'll probably lose. If Draper goes in with like, hey, I've got nothing to lose, let me get out there and, and just let it fly, I think he'll win. So... It's also a little bit of a trick, you know, just like we know his, Nadal's preparation is not ideal. Maybe he's thinking like, you know what? I have a chance here. I can win, you know? And that might be, believe it or not, like a reverse mental um, for Draper. So in terms of the, the, the style of play, um, you know, I, I think Draper isn't necessarily using his cross-court forehand as, as much Um, as Nadal would use it or whatever it may be Um, so I don't know how much it's going to affect his level of play but I think it's going to be more about mentality more than anything
1: yeah and I think one thing I've seen from Draper is he he's got pretty compact swings yeah like yeah and so I mean unless he takes everything off to rise I don't think he can kind of hang back there and you know, let the ball fly all over the place, right? Kind of a little bit like Manorino, where he likes to take everything early. Um, obviously, he's a much stronger, bigger guy. But I think that uh, that's that's going to be interesting for me. Anyways, it's going to be a great match. I mean, there's no, no doubt about it. Any way you slice it, it's going to be, I think, very high level. But uh, I think Nadal's in trouble as an overall. So for that reason my picks going out of this uh, section's top half are going to be Medvedev and Felix OG, Um And then I just think that Medvedev, I mean, he's made the finals here, what, I think the last two years, right? Yep. So he's he's ready, uh, you know, to do some damage here, I think. Again, I don't know, I still think he had a, you know, pretty bad year by his standards last year after he made the finals here and lost in a doll after being up two sets to love. I think felix is gonna have you know something to prove from the end of last year so i think that's why he's gonna have the form to to go forward a little bit and then in the bottom half really depends on how djokovic is feeling if he's i mean Parsa, his draws first couple rounds is i don't think he's gonna lose many games i mean i don't know if you've seen his draw but it's very easy Um, and dimitrov to me is not a factor at all so third round Fritz, I really like what I'm seeing from him. So he could definitely do something. That's why I, I'm going to have him in the semis as well. So I'm going to be going with Medvedev, Felix Ogier-Aliassime, Djokovic, Fritz. I'm going to have final um, of Djokovic-Medvedev. And I'm going to have Djokovic taking the title, winning his 10th title here, as well as tying Nadal for his 22nd. And before I let you jump in and give everybody your thoughts on on the men's draw, It's very interesting because if Nadal can somehow win this tournament, it would change everything. Because you really then you have to say he's the GOAT. Because he's won you know the tournament now three times. He's gonna have twenty-three majors. Djokovic is gonna have twenty-one. You gotta favor him for the French to get to twenty-four. And then it's pretty much I think it's gonna be tough for Djokovic to win another four, you know what I mean, to get to 25 like that. But if Djokovic wins this and he's at 22, then it changes everything very quickly. Quickly, And they both also have 92 career titles, which is also very interesting. So um, I think that's another subplot to look at here, but uh, I still favor Djokovic at the end of the day. Very good.
0: Um, I'm a little more straightforward. I definitely have a Medvedev in the top half. Um, you know, I, I feel like even if Nadal got to this stage in the quarterfinal where he's got Medvedev, I think it's it's just going to be, I think Medvedev is just take him out. Um, uh, I, I feel like he's super consistent. He's motivated. He's got all, everything that he needs. I feel like uh, in the second part, um, I have to go with Tsitsipas. I think Pass, if he's done anything, he's definitely established that he's a top five player in the world. No doubt about it. He isn't winning these things, but he's definitely always one of the best. I, I think you would agree with that, Nima. Um, he finds himself deep in these tournaments often. Um, I don't believe in Felix. And no offense to your Canadian guys. Um, Felix needs an indoor Grand Slam, and then I would take him. Um, he certainly plays a lot better indoors. His serve is a little bit more effective, and everything's a little truer. So I'm not a big believer in Felix yet until he starts to show me that he can handle different conditions and adjust to them. Um, and Australia is so variant. You know, you could be, you know, long sleeve one day and it could be, you know, ridiculous, you know, 45 Celsius, something ridiculous weather wise and totally different. Um, in the third section, um, you know, this is Djokovic's section, I, I, don't like that he's banged up. Um, I, I, it makes me hesitate big time. So uh, I think there's an opportunity here. And I think it's uh, Nick Kirigos is, is... He's going to be around NEMA, Australia, Wimbledon, and US Open. He is going to be one of the last eight or last four guys in each one of them You can mark this. I don't know if he's going to win one of these. But he's going to be there at the end of these tournaments consistently this year. Not Roland Garros, but the other three. Um, Australia, Wimbledon, and U.S. Open. So I'm going to have Kyrgos here in the semifinal. Wow. Oh, yeah. And then uh, I'm going to have... Uh, I like your pick of Fritz. Um, I think he's he's playing at a different level. Um, and I've got Fritz going through. Um, and I've got Kyrgos advancing to the final over Fritz. Um, and... I think it's going to be Medvedev CC Pass, and I think CC Pass is going to win that. And then I think uh, I'm going to have uh, Nick Kyrgos,
1: champion, 23 Australian Open. Wow. <laughs> okay, so here's here's the thing. This is, well, actually really good that you picked Kyrgios so we can talk about him now a little bit. It's a good segue. You know, there's, I don't think, in media and everything there's been a guy who's followed Kyrgios as much as I have ever since he was like 16, 17. I've mentioned this tons of times. Yep. He's winning challengers in Sarasota and I was all over it. Then his career continued. Listen, he's the, actually one of the only guys, Parsa, that I can sit down and watch a full match. Like I can actually sit, I like to watch like from the warm-up until they shake hands, I can sit there and be engaged. I can't honestly say that for a Djokovic match, or a Nadal match, or anybody, unless they're playing, like it's a super, you know, high profile match or whatever, but, you know, it's like, you know, Nadal playing against Karina Busta, I'm not gonna sit there and watch that, with all due respect to both of them. it's, not, it's nothing, I just, the style of tennis is hard for me to watch at this stage, after me watching tennis for like the last 30, 40 years, like a full, full match. But Carious is not like that, he's always bringing something, it's entertaining, and I actually like the way he plays tennis. Saying that, I think he made a fundamental error at the end of last year, by playing a ton of exhibitions. I love the honesty that he's doing it to make money, and he's getting six figures to show up and all of that stuff, that's all good. But you're at a point now where, you know, you made the Wimbledon finals, you had a terrible loss in the quarterfinals of the US Open, even though Hatchinoff played amazing. Watch that match. He served amazing, Hatchinoff. You gotta win that match. Like, you have to 100% win that match because then who's left? You got TFO, you got Alcaraz. I mean, and Rude. Like, you, you know, if you talk to, like, obviously, you know who I'm talking about when with my connection to the pro tour the really close that i have and you know talking to a lot of professional players they're all talking about how Kyrgios should have won the us open and he didn't and he knows that trust me he knows that i that totally disagree terrible...
0: just just for the record and it's going to yeah. be on a pack i completely disagree with every professional player you're talking about yeah um i think i've got a really good read on
1: Kyrgios. um yeah but go ahead, finish your thought. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll jump in. And so I think that he tanked that. Not that he tanked it, he wanted to win. But you got to make that happen somehow because that's an opportunity. Djokovic is not there. And like Nadal lost early. Federer is done. So you got to figure that out. And he's. I think he's also carrying a bit of an ankle injury. Now, in saying that, his draw is good the one thing i would look out for is i know you're going to say i might be crazy but he's got a really bad record against richard gasquet and he could be his potential second round opponent i don't know why he has a bad record against him because he can completely overpower him and he's pretty much better in every category than gasquet is now gasquet is also what now like 37 years old right so he's got to figure that out if he can get into the third or fourth round I think he starts to get really dangerous, um, and I would love to see it. But I think when you combine the fact that he really didn't have a lot of time off between the end of last year and the beginning of this year, um, and he's a bit banged up. Now he could just be saying that he is, just so he doesn't have to play and he can just relax and you know get his mindset the way that he needs it to be, because he's always said that he's a guy who doesn't need to play a lot. Um, If that's the case, then listen, I'm all for it. If Nick Kyrgios wins this tournament, trust me, I will not be upset. Like, I'll be super into it. I think it'll be great for ratings, and I think it's going to be fantastic overall. I just think that he needs to be able to schedule himself a little bit better and understand that, yes, money is super important, but you got to try to win at least one Grand Slam, right? And these are the opportunities for him because he's in a little bit of a, he's in a good position right now, right? He's had some momentum. He's, you know, won some tournaments, made the finals of some big tournaments. So that's, you know, that's what I think. So you, you can end off the show with your thoughts on Nick. Yeah, like. I mean, you know, with the off match, I think you have
0: to have uh, the ability to... Uh, be in those moments and understand how to navigate those moments and I think he gained that experience and He was very well aware of the opportunity as well just like everyone else was But I think you need to put yourself in these positions for a little bit before you can take advantage of these positions Especially when you're a little bit older and I think that's what he did last year. Um, he gave himself those opportunities and um, I think he's going to be better for it I think he's going to understand how to navigate those situations better and um You know, stick to his game plan a little bit more regarding his scheduling. um, You know what? This is what I enjoy and refreshing about him. He's real. He says what he is, and he wants to make his his cash. And he should do exactly what he's gonna do. That's gonna make him comfortable because I believe that whatever he does, that satisfies what he needs to be doing, is gonna give him the best chance of being successful in. The tournaments of most importance and he said that after wimbledon he said that after the us open like these are these are what you play for he's like you could win no tournament ever but win one grand slam and you always walk around like a grand slam champion and it's different um and so he understands that these are the big four and that that these are the, this is this is the tournament that he has to win so i think the prep is going to be very different in the other times i think he's going to be taking time off spending time with his family and making cash um and I don't think he's going to you know, boast around about it, um, but I think the more he puts himself in these positions um, later in the stages of tournaments... If you remember, he was always like a second or third round guy. Now he's going deeper into these tournaments. He is going to learn how to navigate those moments. Experience teaches you those things. And so I think he's got enough experience to to capture the moment. And the reason why I think he'll beat Paz in the final is because there's a little animosity there. And... Um, I think that'll drive him more than the nerves like he'll just want to beat him to a pulp So I think ultimately that's what ends up happening. And that's my take on it. Let's see
1: That's exactly what it is. Let's see Okay, very good as I like to say so that will pretty much wrap it up for Parsa and I for um, the Australian Open preview Parsa and I will be back um for the French Open later in May to preview that tournament in the meantime you can follow Parsa at Parsa Sammy on Instagram you can follow myself i uh, at tennis connected as well as you know catch all the covers that we're going to have on all the social media pra- platforms as well as our website make sure to download this podcast on iTunes as well as Android and once again Parsa thank you very very much for uh, your time today thank you Thanks everybody out there for listening and following us for all of these many years. And if you have any feedback or comments, please shoot the, you know, our way and we'll be happy to respond. And again, enjoy the fortnight down under be well. And uh, we will talk to you soon. Thank you. Okay.